Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. The state of Alaska is asking for a partial stay of a federal court order forcing the closure of commercial salmon trolling for kings in southeast Alaska this summer, pending an appeal. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The motion for a partial stay was filed on Monday in the U.S. District Court of Western Washington, which last week ruled that the southeast Alaska king salmon fisheries in both summer and winter were operating in violation of the Endangered Species Act and depriving a small population of killer whales in Puget Sound of a critical component of their diet. The state of Alaska immediately filed notice that it intended to appeal to the U.S. Ninth Circuit. The state was joined by the Alaska Trollers Association in asking for the stay, arguing that if the summer and winter troll fishery seasons are closed, this will have a direct, immediate, and irreparable impact on the economic, cultural, and social fabric of southeast Alaska. The state and the trollers are interveners in the lawsuit on behalf of the defendant, the National Marine Fisheries Service, which is responsible for ensuring the compliance of Alaska's fisheries with federal law. NIMFS hasn't indicated any intention to appeal the ruling and instead issued a statement assuring southeast trollers that the other species they target, coho and chum, were unaffected by the court's order. Additionally, the agency was working expeditiously to resolve the conflict with the Endangered Species Act. The lawsuit was originally brought by the Wild Fish Conservancy of Duval, Washington, to protect southern resident killer whales, which has just over 70 animals remaining. Expert opinion differs on whether the closure of king salmon trolling in southeast will have any effect on their long-term survival. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game has yet to determine how and when the commercial troll fishery would open this summer if the court refuses to grant the stay. Alaska is asking for a decision by May 26th. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. The Sitka Assembly is calling for the Alaska legislature to increase state funding for local schools. When the group met last night, it approved a resolution supporting a boost to the annual Base Student Allocation, or BSA. That's the amount of money the legislature dedicates to each school district per student each year. It's only increased once since 2017. Currently, the state Senate is considering a bill that would increase the base student allocation by $1,000 per student. The House passed a smaller one-time increase of $860 last month. The Assembly's resolution doesn't specify an amount or percent increase they're supporting. Assemblymember Kevin Mosier, who co-sponsored the resolution with J.J. Carlson, said he'd be fine with including a number if that was the Assembly's preference, but he mostly just wanted to get the message across. I don't have a lot of confidence they're going to do a lot with this, other than it'll be important to have it for legislators to have and say, listen, we need more. It's not just about the money, it's about consistency, because they can't plan every year. You know, mm-hmm. we, we need to have steady income so that people can plan every year. Um, And they do need to be paying more. The resolution passed unanimously. In other business, the Assembly approved its general fund and enterprise fund budgets on first reading and postponed the appeal process for youth advocates of Sitka. We'll have more on those decisions on Raven News tonight at 518. 
After a two-day trial, a Ketchikan Superior Court judge has ruled that a list of 14 traditional tribal values can keep their place in Ketchikan schools. The decision comes less than a week after the trial's end. KRBD's Reagan Miller reports. The values were created years ago by Southeast Native leaders and include items like hold each other up and speak with care. But parents Justin Brees and Rebecca King sued the school district, alleging that one of the values, reverence for our creator, was a religious statement that violated the First Amendment's Establishment Clause. They asked for the posters to be taken down from common areas and instead be incorporated into guided lessons. The parents also wanted the values removed from a behavior reward system at Ketchikan Charter School. In the written decision, Judge Catherine Librand said that the plaintiffs didn't prove the statement was religious. Librand said that in order to violate the Establishment Clause, the posters would have to be forcing students into believing a certain way. She said that fact was not proven at the trial. And, Librand ruled, even if it was religious, it still wouldn't be a violation of the clause because the display of the posters isn't forcing a certain behavior. Librand echoed testimony from expert witnesses, saying the posters were hung to encourage cultural awareness, not a particular behavior. Librand also wrote that the reverence for our creator value wasn't a required part of the Ketchikan Charter School program, and teachers aren't required to hang the posters in their classrooms. Additionally, Librand noted that the posting of the value was, quote, more akin to reciting the Pledge of Allegiance than the posting of the Ten Commandments, end quote. Native leaders in Ketchikan and around Southeast applauded the decision on social media, along with Ketchikan's tribe. Plaintiff Rebecca King said she did not have a comment regarding the decision, but that as parents, they weren't law experts and received an answer through the legal process. KRBD could not reach a representative from the Ketchikan Gateway Borough School District. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. A stretch of state highway in Juneau gets closed several times every winter for avalanches. Monitoring avalanche risk along that route is a tricky but essential task for the Department of Transportation. But a new pilot study in the area will use a drone's eye view, hopefully making it easier to manage that risk. KTOO's Anna Canny reports. In the mountains above Thane Road in Juneau, the snowpack is constantly changing. Storms with hurricane-strength winds move snow around. And every winter, the Alaska Department of Transportation moves snow around too. They use helicopters like this one to set off planned avalanches using explosives. It's a way to reduce the chance of natural avalanches that could put drivers at risk. But sometimes, Avalanche specialist Pat Dreyer is left to monitor the snowpack from sea level. That means there's a lot he can't see. What other hazards are up there that aren't visible from the ground? The ability to essentially fly to the top of the slope would be hugely beneficial. With drone technology, he can do just that. This winter, Dreyer and his team launched a new project to gather critical snowpack data using drones. Local avalanche specialists already monitor the snowpack all winter long. They often venture into the mountains to do field work. And starting last year, they introduced occasional drone missions to take pictures. But those methods are just snapshots. They capture just one moment in time, and they examine just a fraction of the avalanche zone. This new project will try to get the bigger picture, literally. It's a process called photogrammetry. Which is taking a lot of photos and stitching them together to make a new aerial image. That image can be used to build maps and models that show how the terrain is changing. Basically a representation of the height of the ground 
Uh, in this case, it would be the total height of the snow. Grant Hostica is an engineer with the drone's manufacturer, a Chinese tech company called DJI. He says that the data for those maps and models will be collected with more frequent, automated drone flights. No one will have to fly the drone. It'll be like a Roomba, or... Kind of like a lawnmower mowing the lawn. The drone's kind of doing that, but taking photos as it goes that, that overlap. By doing that over and over again throughout the snow season, local avalanche specialists will have real-time data about how the snowpack is changing. That data could be used to estimate the size of potential avalanches. It could also be used to schedule those man-made avalanches. The drones will be launched from a new docking station, which was installed last month. Essentially, it's a high-tech parking spot for the drone to stop between missions. It can charge. It can offload data. All it needs is an internet connection. But there are still kinks to work out, like if the drone has enough battery life and data storage to get the job done. And there are regulatory roadblocks, too. There are a lot of federal restrictions on unmanned drone flights, and the Department of Transportation is still working to get the permits required for truly automatic missions. Of course, there's also Juno's weather. So we've never had a dock in Alaska. We've never had you know a dock here getting rained on day in, um, day out, and experiencing um, some of the tough weather. Um, so the team is able to verify how that's you know holding up in in these conditions. There are just a handful of these docks in North America. And Juno's is the only one dedicated to this sort of mapping mission for natural hazards. So success here could help to refine drone technology for environmental mapping missions all over the country and the world. Reporting from Juno, I'm Anna Canny. Alaska Congresswoman Mary Peltola and other House Democrats say they're worried the U.S. Supreme Court is about to weaken the Indian Child Welfare Act to the detriment of Native children and their tribes. Peltola, the first Alaska Native person elected to Congress, previously worked as a tribal court judge where child custody cases were a mainstay. At a congressional roundtable on Tuesday, Peltola stressed the importance of keeping children with their families or placing them within their tribe. I think for every single human group ever in existence, children are precious, children are our future. And certainly for Natives, it is no different. The Supreme Court is expected to rule soon on a challenge to ICWA, or ICWA, brought by the state of Texas and a group of non-Native adoptive parents. They say the Indian Child Welfare Act makes unconstitutional distinctions based on race. Supporters of the act say it's based on tribal affiliation. Congress passed the law to reverse the wholesale alienation of children from their tribes. New York University law professor Maggie Blackhawk says the trend reached terrifying levels by the 50s and 60s. State governments separated over 100,000 of the estimated 400,000 Native children from their parents and placed those children in homes with no police.